Welcome to the Optimal Performance Guide, where we have conversations with high-level humans to provide clear guidance to the mindset and habits required for optimal performance. I'm your host, Rory Cordial. Okay, guys, today on the show, it's an honor to sit down with my good friend, Ben Bruno. Ben is an exceptional trainer working with some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment, but even more important, he's a very kind person that really goes out of his way to help his clients and friends. You know, starting this podcast, he was one of the first people to leave a nice review and share with his social platforms, which was definitely not something I asked him to do. He just did it to support me, and it feels great to have a friend like that. So that's the kind of guy Ben is. In this episode, you'll get to know a bit about Ben's background, where he's from, and some real adversity that he's overcome in his life. Beyond that, some things we talked about are taking risks and being willing to fail, changes COVID has had on his training, the power of understanding and performing the basics well, some common misconceptions about strength training for women, training principles such as strength versus power, speed and agility, cardio or energy systems development, the importance of communication when on a team, workout structure and time, and some exciting things that Ben is working on right now. Okay guys, enough talking, let's get to the show. All right, Ben, thanks so much for joining us. Dude, thanks for having me. Yeah, I told you I was going to get a pump for the podcast, and then I just did all legs. <laughs> you love doing legs. I know. I'm weird. How are you doing, man? You're doing good. It's so strange with COVID. We're doing this over Zoom, and not to be doing this in person. We're like literally like 15, I, I 20 know, minutes dude, away. Dude, I miss you. It's weird. These FaceTimes are good. Because I, I don't know, I, I forget what you look like. Yeah, no. <laughs> I saw you put up a post. Your grandma turned 98. 98, dude. And, st- and works out every day. That's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. How's she doing? Good, good. Uh, you know, she's very positive and has as good of an attitude as I think you could have. So it's, it's great. I like on the, you put a post you put uh you guys refer to each other best friends and i mean you speak so highly of your grandma and your mom and i just bought jack's one of your t-shirts product of a strong woman oh so thanks just, for doing that man obvi- yeah it's obviously was so it a important. shirt or a onesie what, how big is he now it's a onesie it's a onesie so oh, it's like, oh man that's you know they have this onesie that says i should get it for jack's because this will probably be him but it says uh i would i would flex but i like this onesie but I think that's Jack. So probably he'll probably bust right out of the onesie soon if he keeps. Do the listeners know that Jack's uh, lifts already? <laughs> I don't know. They don't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Ben. Yeah. Ben got him a kettlebell and a barbell. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's been uh, using that since since six months. <laughs> yeah, he yeah he's been benching from pretty much out of the womb. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for doing um, that with the shirt. I really do appreciate that. It's uh. It's crazy. Yeah, tell me we about sold that. a lot of them. And so, well, I can't remember where, but there was this charity. It was like kind of my idea, but not really. 
because there was this charity that I just saw on Instagram and it said product of a strong female and they gave the money to charity. So I thought, oh, that's cool. And I just bought one. And then I surprised my mom with it for either her birthday or Christmas or something. When I saw her, I just wore it and she really liked it. And, you know, we took a photo with it and stuff and I thought, oh, that's cool. And then when we shared it, people were like, where'd you get that shirt? And turns out that the charity was like a one-off thing. Like they just made one batch of shirts. And so I reached out to, actually it was uh, Sarah Foster. And so I reached okay, out to yeah. Sarah and I was like, Hey, you know, I don't know if this is yours or what, but like, it was just a one-off batch. Do you care if I basically like kind of carry the torch? And she was like, no, by all means, no. And so I made the shirt and, but product of a strong female just kind of sounded weird to me. So i I switched it to product of a strong woman. And what we did is it's, um, you know, we have onesies, we have baby sizes, men's shirts, women's shirts, tank tops, hoodies, whatever. And we sell them and all the money goes to, it's called the family promise charity. They have a branch, they have a million branches, but I always give half to the LA branch and half to uh, the branch in New Hampshire where I'm from. And it's, it's just cool. Cause I don't, I don't ever like, um, I get why people do it, but I get annoyed when people ask you to donate to a bunch of stuff because I get why, but it's like, for the most part, when you donate, I feel like, you know, I don't have unlimited pockets. So it's like, you want to put your money like in things that are meaningful to you. The difference here, which makes me not feel bad. I feel like it's a win-win because I actually don't get any of the money. It started for me. I can't remember. I believe it was two years ago, just as like a, as my mom's birthday present, I started this and I did it just to like surprise her because I thought she thought it'd be nice. And then so many more people bought them than I thought. So I just thought I'll keep it going. I have a shirt company that makes all my shirts and they print them on demand. So it's like really no skin off my back. Like I don't have, you know, so there's really no um, downside to this. And then I'm, I'm not really asking people to donate per se. Like I do donate all the money, but they're just buying a shirt that every mom would like and be flattered by. So it's like, it's been cool. Yeah. It's great. I know you do like, collect food cans or you do different charity things specifically for women throughout the year. Right. Yeah, I do. You know, well, that's the thing. I really, um, so many people talk about the downsides of social media and, um, and I think there probably are a lot of downsides, you know, things that I hear frequently people talk about how, um, in a bigger picture, not just the fitness world that people can use social media. Um, because a lot of people, their social media is a highlight reel of their life and it's not really their real life. So if you judge yourself against other people's social media, your life feels kind of sucky and you, you can probably, you know, feel bad about that. And, and I think that's true. If you, if you don't like look at things knowing that it's the highlight reel or, you know, in the fitness world, for example, a lot of trainers bitch about how uh, unqualified trainers are, have big social media followings because they're strong or they're in good shape themselves or something like that. But they're, they're not the most knowledgeable people to be disseminating information. And that's true too. But I actually love social media because I've met so many people through it and I learn a lot of fitness stuff through it. And the, the thing for me is I just take everything with a grain of salt. Like I know people are posting highlight reels, so I, I, I don't really 
you know, uh, if I'm having a bad day, I don't like judge myself against other people. Cause I know everybody's got their own shit behind the scenes and training wise, you know, I, I think, um, I want to say it was Bruce Lee. I don't know who to credit, but it's like, you know, they say, um, take what's useful, discard what's useless. And I really do that with social media. You know, um, when you've trained people for a long time and you understand training, it's pretty easy to see what's silly and what's not. And I just kind of look past the silly stuff. I don't really get too bummed out about it, but in the bigger picture, when you talk about the shirts and uh, clothing drives and whatnot, it's just wild to me that, I mean, you know, you know me pretty well, but like I'm an idiot with technology. I barely know how to work my phone. You know, I'm doing this podcast from a, phone because I don't know how to work Zoom for my computer. But that said, you can do a 30-second video and tell people to donate their clothes. And last Christmas, 2,500 bags were donated. And, you know, we've sold a bunch of shirts. And last Christmas, my mom and I were able to cut a $10,000 check to Family Promise off this shirt. And that's from like, you know, two Instagram posts. And, um, so I think social media is, is awesome in that way, you know? And, um, yeah. And I, so I think, um, you got to just take the good and and ignore the bad or else it could, I could, I could see how people like think it's negative, but I just, um, I, I tend to be glass half full with most things. I think you are too. That's probably why we're friends, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I only follow people that I respect and inspire me and just ignore the rest of it. Yeah, I definitely appreciate what you just said and the fact that glass half full is a big deal, right? Being able to look at the positive side of things and continue to grow. And there are a lot of positives with the social media, even like you said, with learning things about training, right? Oh, yeah. I learned, yeah. I learned all kinds of things. Like, you know, and um, now, you know, when I first started training, and I act like I'm like old, I'm not, but like we, you know, it was more like, you'd have to like buy the book. You'd have to like read the article. You'd have to do this. Like now it's just like, you just scroll through Instagram, you follow smart trainers and it's just all right there. Yeah. Which is great, right? The ability to connect is potentially much easier, faster access. Um, totally. Yeah. And I've met yeah. so many cool people and smart trainers and uh, cool people outside of training via social media. Tell me about growing up in New Hampshire. I'm from Montana. I feel like we're close to the same latitude. Yeah. I always thought I was a small town person. And then I still might be at heart. I, cause I actually, well, so to give the listeners like a cliff notes, I lived on the Northeast my, my whole life until I moved to Los Angeles seven years ago, almost seven years ago. And I lived in New Hampshire. New York City, and just north of Boston. And I still think of myself as an East Coaster, and I still actually get offended if people think that I'm from LA. Um, I do, I do take offense to that because I uh, now I'm going to offend LA people, but I just don't like to think of myself as an LA person. I really enjoy Los Angeles for my job. I think it's it's great for what I do for work and I've met a great group of friends, but I think on the whole, my personality is more of a small town personality. But that said, you definitely change the longer you're somewhere. And so then, you know, when I lived in, in a small town, it's like, you don't know what you don't know. So it didn't really feel that small to me because I just lived there. And then when I go 
to visit from Los Angeles, I'm like, Oh wait, there's nothing to do. Uh, you know, and I didn't used to feel that way. So I, I, I've changed in some ways, but I think of myself as a small town person, just, you know, uh, I don't know if you're like this or I don't know if Montana's like this, but where, where I'm from, my town's less than a thousand people. And technically it's an Island. It's called Newcastle, New Hampshire. There's no stoplights. Um, you can't even have a mailbox. There's a post office and you go get your mail and everyone talks to everyone. You know me, I'll talk to anyone. I'm still like that. When I lived in New York city, I'm like that in LA, I'm like that. And that's kind of, I think people in the city think I'm weird, but that's just how I'm cut. And, uh, my mom's like that too. My mom had the ability, you know, she started spending time in Florida in the winters and she, I remember, you know, she got a place down there and within a couple of weeks went to a new city and had a million friends. And, uh, you know, she's just social and I'm kind of like that too. And I think it comes from being from a small town, you know, I'll talk to a waiter or waitress or I'll talk to whoever and, you know, we'll become buddies. And I do think of myself as a small town person, but I guess after seven years, maybe I am an LA person, but I hate to think that. Yeah. You're anchored in the small town, just kindness, right? Yeah, totally. For sure. Yeah. Um, what do you think yeah. the differences are? Like, what, like, do you think of yourself as an LA person or do you? No, I mean, I love hearing the pride that you have being from, from the East coast, hey, me being from the Northwest, from Montana, when you meet people, whenever I've met people from New York or New Jersey or like just the Northeast, there's definitely this pride. Like I'm a New Yorker. I'm, you know, there's, there's yeah, some, I've kept my, I've, yeah. I still have my New Hampshire phone number. I take yeah. pride in it. Like I just, uh, I just do. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I mean, I have my sheet of thoughts, questions, etc. So I have right next to your name, I have loyalty bolded around it. So I think you're speaking to this right now because I do. Yeah. Wanna, yeah. But you're like that too. That's why we're friends. You know, I, I think, um, a lot of people ask me what I think of LA from the East coast and, and then people, a lot of people outside of LA generalize and they'll go, what are LA people like? Are they really superficial? Like, are they just like superficial? And I think, you know, man, there's a shitload of people in LA. So like, there's a lot of superficial people, but there's a lot of not superficial people, you know, and I've really cultivated a really great friend group. And, you know, in any city, I think when you move to a new city, if you can truly say you have like three to five really great friends, and then like, 20 kind of friends, you're doing great for yourself. If you can't find friends in a city, then it's the problem's you, you know, there's a lot of nice people if you kind of open to it. And mm-hmm. I think nice people attract nice people. For sure. You're, you're just a kind person. And like you said, you'll talk to anyone. I mean, when I first got to LA, Ben was one of the first people really I met and he was like, let's grab some breakfast and, you know, talk about training, et cetera, just like connect. And I'm thankful we did because, you too. know, yeah. So let me keep going. Yeah. I'm 39. You're 35, right? Almost next week. Next week. Catch, oh yeah. Next, next week. Uh, and you always have the best little birthday gatherings. This, this COVID thing's going to really make I don't that know how impossible. It's work huh? in COVID, I know. Yeah. I always do like to, uh, I always use my birthday I actually don't care about birthdays at all, but I do use my birthday as an excuse to get all my friends together at once because it's like the only time of year that I do. Yeah. But I, so this year, I don't know what I'll do. I'll just, uh, I don't know. 
So sometimes when I think back and contemplate just the trajectory of my life, where I'm headed, we know what we know, right? We have the experiences of our life. We're both on this trajectory of getting better, helping people. So just listening to some of the podcasts you you have done already, just preparing for this interview, um, also came across your segment with the, the Today Show on overcoming the odds. I want to encourage everyone to check that out because it's inspiring just the fact that you shared that at nine, your dad struggled with depression, ended up committing suicide, and really sorry you had to go through that part of your journey. But you also really talk about a shift in your behavior and mindset. Are you open to talking about that at all? Sure. I, you know, it's, I, I, and for me to say sure, that's uh, kind of an evolution or growth on my part. I think that's something when I, whenever somebody says that to me, Mm-hmm. I always feel bad in some way or embarrassed or something. Um, and I think the more that time goes by, you can't control what happens to you, but I do mm-hmm. think that you can control how you react to it and what you take from that. And so I think um, I try not to listen. It's not something I really love talking about, but I, I think that, it's something that happened to me and it's, we're all, my mom always says, but we're all products of our experiences. And I think that a lot of people, when you go through hard things, you can either let it break you or make you stronger. And Mm -hmm. some of the strongest people I know have gone through a lot of hard stuff and use that to make them, you know, a lot of people use hard things that happen to them as an excuse to be fuck ups. But I think that if you, sorry, am I allowed to swear? You're, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like your voice. I can't help. Yeah. So, and I, I do think that a lot of people use bad things that happen to them as an excuse to do more bad things themselves. But I think if you use the bad things that happen to you to be better, then you're better for it. And there's no reason to be ashamed of that or anything like, you know, um, but it's, it's definitely, um, not something I, I love talking about. I do think, um, yeah. No, I appreciate it. And that's, that's really the reason I brought it up. And, and for me personally, you know, at, at 39, you're almost 35. I think as a childhood, the, everyone goes through different traumas or pains to different degrees, right? Um, so how you respond to difficult, painful points in your life, and if you're able to shift that to a positive trajectory, I think is important for um, just moving forward. So for me personally, we've never talked about it and I wouldn't have brought it up because it's a, I don't want to talk about something too uncomfortable, but I also feel like, like you mentioned kind of an evolution to be able to, to talk about painful things um, as you start to be able to process and let them go. Um, But I, and I just really, was inspired when I listened to that segment again, and you were talking about uh, you connecting with an English teacher and really finding this passion for writing and really making a switch kind of in the path that you were headed. Um, yeah. So, well, so, so one thing, I think one of the biggest things that I've taken from the hard times in life 
mm-hmm. is, um, you know, m- my mom's got a lot of gems and I think it might, th- this actually might be a book title, but she always says, you know, don't sweat the small stuff and it's pretty much all small stuff. And I do think that when you go through truly hard things in life, I, you know, I've had a couple of really hard life experiences. You're able to let like the day-to-day stress stuff like roll off a little bit easier. You know, and for example, if I ever talk to my mom about hard stuff, she'll usually go, you know, if you got your health, like you're fine, you get through this, you've been through worse. And mm-hmm. um, I talk to a lot of people that get really bent out of shape about things that to me don't seem that big a deal. And I think that when you go through hard stuff, you're much more like able to to roll with the punches. And yeah. somebody once when I was growing up told me that the best skill you can have in life or the best quality, I guess it's not a skill is resilience. Cause they said, no matter what happens in life, no matter how smart you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter anything, you're gonna have hard times. Nobody's immune to that. And, uh, there's no way to avoid that. And so if you have resilience, that is the best because you're going to have hard times no matter what. And it's about kind of being able to weather that storm or roll the punches. And, uh, I, that really resonated with me. And I think I believe that, mm-hmm. um, a lot of things, a lot of times in life, for example, I've had like, you know, I, I would say in some ways I'm, uh, I'm a risk taker with, with certain things. And sometimes I think to myself when I take a chance, am I really confident in myself? And, I'm not sure because I do think that I have confidence, but I also do worry a lot. And I think that's normal. And one thing about me is I'm not always confident that what I do is going to work, but I'm very confident that I'll be okay, even if it doesn't, if that makes sense. And, yeah, um, yeah. and so uh, I do, I'm, I'm a worrier. I think everyone's a worrier to some degree, but I also am okay trying something and, and it doesn't work out and trying something else. And I think that, that I have developed like a resilience or an ability to think like, so maybe it's confidence, but not, not, I'm not always confident that I'm going to do something well, but I'm confident that I'll figure it out one way or the other. Yeah. You know, you feel like part of the tough moments throughout your life thus far that you've kind of just learned that skill, you know, that resiliency that you're talking about that you kind of have to somewhat just push through that you think that's naturally you're naturally wired for you to be like that? Uh, I'm not sure. I know I've always been somebody that kind of takes chances and tries, you know, tries things. And a lot of things that I try don't pan out. And, you know, I think you try something, you know, I'm going through that right now with the COVID stuff uh, because it's totally like screwed up my job, you know? And I think that's true of a lot of people, but, I've really had to, to pivot and I've always done the same. I've kind of had the same type of business for a long time and just kind of train people. And a lot of my clients left LA and as a trainer that just sees people one-on-one, you know, not a lot of people are going to gyms. And so it's totally changed my business in the, in just almost overnight it did that. Mm-hmm. And I know it did that for a lot of people. So it's really forced me to try different stuff. And I've uh, delved into online training a little and I'm working on like a a program and just trying different stuff. And I have no idea what will pan out and what won't, but um, 
there's that whole thing. You just throw shit against the wall and see what sticks. And, uh, um, yeah doing that right now. And I think that's, that's the only way you can handle it when things, when everything like is in flux, you just have to, um, you know, one thing about my job and your job and a lot of jobs, you know, it's like, if you're not getting like a salary, like, and then things change, you just have to figure it out or, you know, and, uh, so I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants right now, just trying different stuff and seeing, um, I really actually think that the training landscape will change, you know, pretty, pretty drastically from all this. And so I think with that, I have to change too. It's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I think if you try to, if you're stuck in your ways when times are changing, it's just going to kind of pass you by a little bit. Yeah. Obviously as you're figuring this out, the next steps, how do you find clarity or space in your mind to then see which direction you want to head, what things you want to do. I don't, you know, I, I can't tell you, uh, right now I can't really tell you what I'll be doing in like a year. Even I, I, I think everything's, you know, just started by tried training. And what I did is I made the program three months, you know, everyone has to sign up for three months. And I did that for two reasons. One reason is, as you know, I think training is something that takes time. So you can't really see results in a month or even two months. It kind of takes time. And so I didn't want to get people that are just program hopping because I think any program, you know, I think that my training is good training, but it, it still takes time. There's no magic workouts or anything. And so I wanted people to sign on for three months so that they could do the program and really see it through. And I I think that around the three month mark is when people really start to see change in their body and with strength and stuff. And then the other part of the three month thing is I wanted to see if it's something that I like and do well. And I wanted to see where the world is in three months because it just seems in flux. And so part of it was for them. Part of it was for me. And we're just, you know, it's a, it's a trial and maybe I'll keep that going or, or maybe I won't. Um, Mm-hmm. but, um, I, I, yeah, I, I can't tell you that I'm very confident in what I'm going to be doing. Um, because I don't, I don't even know, uh, it's just such a weird time in the world and it's hard to be like fully confident, but I think again, like the best I can do, I don't want to say the best, I hate when people generalize and say the best you can do, but the best I can do anyway is, uh, just have, you know, faith that if you kind of work hard and whatever, like, I'll figure it out one way or the other, but I don't exactly know. Um, I'm an in-person personal trainer and, and gyms are closed around the country. So it's like, that doesn't like sound great on paper. So I'm just, you know, trying to figure it out. And, um, like what a time to be alive. Like, you know, the, I read a, an article in the New York times about like a kettlebell shortage. Like people can't even get weight. <laughs> you know, I have to like pull strings to get like, adjustable dumbbells for clients. It's a weird time, you know? And <laughs> so, uh, I think we're all just kind of you know, seeing what happens and doing the best we can. Yeah. We're all navigating that. I mean, I never, new, you know, I, I've done zoom workouts or uh, not zoom. I don't even know how to do zoom, but like FaceTime workouts, uh, with a lot of my clients for the last four or five months. And prior to this, I never would have thought that I would be doing FaceTime workouts. I would say, that wouldn't even work. How would that even work? And then mm-hmm. this happened. And overnight I was like, well, I guess 
it's better than nothing. Right. And then I found over time that it actually works really well, but I would have never known that because I never would have been open to that. So I think, uh, you know, that necessity is the mother of invention, but like a lot of the stuff that we're figuring out now is just out of necessity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've thought of so many different exercises, for example, I'm lucky cause I have a, a gym in my garage, but people always ask me like how I think of these things. And I say, well, I got eight people that I see on FaceTime and a lot of them have like two kettlebells in the band. So you have to think outside the box. Yeah. And I never would have thought of that if I weren't in that situation. But, um, I think if you're open-minded and creative and stuff, you know, you'd, you'd realize that, um, you just do what you can. And, and, uh, you know, in training, I've always said like with programming, I think that a lot of trainers overcomplicate training, but for me, I've always said practicality trumps perfection. Mm-hmm. And as things change in the world, that's never, has that been more true that, pre- you know, uh, you know, I think prior to COVID almost overnight, prior to COVID, a lot of internet debates among trainers were arguing about, the craziest minutia and then overnight it's like nobody even has gym equipment and they're working out at home with no equipment and all that goes out the window real quick and it becomes how do you just do a a decent simple training program with no equipment and all that minutia like doesn't even matter anymore so um it all you know it's it's all uh relative yeah and what do you think about the the yeah with gyms closed um just the shift, we understand how important our health, our body, our mental health, they all go together. I mean, for your clients to have you get on FaceTime and help guide them through their workout. And I mean, you've been an anchor with them for their body for a long time. So I imagine that's been very, very helpful. But you think about sometimes lifting heavy weight or loading our body. You think there's a shift maybe more to just like overall health of our bodies and mind versus, um, I need to go to the gym to do my workout or something like that. I do think that with strength training, it's, it's nice, you know, uh, a lot of people are buying some weights and stuff, but it's nowhere near as much as they would have at the gym. Mm -hmm. And so a couple things, one people that are just obsessed with with maximal strength, I think are probably being forced to think outside the box a little and get strong in other ways. But I also think one thing that, um, I've actually enjoyed from this is a lot of times with training people and my clients and just people in general get training ADD and they want to try every different exercise and every different toy and, they have a really hard time sticking to the program. And I've always felt that good training is just good, simple training that you, it's just basic. And, you know, I was joking with one of the guys that I trained that good training, you basically rotate 15 exercises until you die. Like there's not a whole, you know, uh, and a lot of times when people try to get cutesy with it, it's, it's usually worse in my opinion, rather than better. And, um, you know, I think the best athletes in the world, uh, do the basics really well. And, success leaves clues. So I think everyone should do that. And, uh, Mm. you know, but I think a lot of times people try to, um, do stuff, try different things just out of boredom or they see a shiny new toy. And then when the toys get taken away, you know, a lot of my workouts now with clients are very basic and there's less variety because there's just not a lot of stuff. And 
the results actually usually are tend to be better. You know, I think when you, you know, I know with my own training, I've done like the same 20 exercises for like 15 years, you know, like there's, there's only so many good exercises and, uh, a lot of that silly stuff goes to the wayside. And so it has to be basic. And I think the basics work better than a lot of the fancy stuff people do. Yeah. And I've always loved this about you. You're extremely intelligent about training, but you are, have such a good way of keeping things simple. And I mean, exactly what you just said, uh, everyone benefits from the simple things. And I just like the fact that you love training so much and, and have that thirst to learn and knowledge, but also are just so anchored in the basics, right? I think that's being from the East coast. LA is the home of all the dumb fitness trends. All, you know, <laughs> it's funny because before I moved to LA, if I went on social media, people would always make fun of certain trends. Yeah. And then when I moved here, I'm like, Oh, they're all here. You know, all these, silly, <laughs> all these silly classes, all these silly, uh, workout tees, all these waist toners, all these, everything people, people in LA actually do those on the East coast. <laughs> they, they, just make, they just make fun of that stuff. They don't actually do it. <laughs> they just all do basic workouts. And, uh, you know, in LA people do them, you know, people do the, they fall for anything. And so I'm glad I learned training on the East coast, but it's, it is, um, I do think that, um, you know, whatever your goal is, it's like the, the best athletes are the ones that are the, the best at the basics. The people, if you're training to be really muscular, the most muscular people are all the strongest at the basics. They don't do any of that foo-foo stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to say that there are secret exercises because then, you know, that would be like I would hold some card that other people don't, but you just have to do basic exercises and eat well. And the hard part, I think, is there's a, a trainer that I really like that I've always looked up to named Dan John. And he does really simple stuff, but he, he always says simple, not easy. And I like that because uh, really like that's that. what it is. And, 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 you know, that's the training, that's the eating, you know, uh, I actually, I really like training. I'm lucky. I like training a lot of, you know, and I like it sometimes more than others. I, I, I'm sometimes I'm more motivated, but usually I like the training, but I think the eating is really hard. For example, like it's really hard to eat right, but you kind of have to consistently or most of the time, at least. Uh, if you want to be in good shape, you know, there's just, there's really no way to like cheat the process. You just have to consistently do the same basic exercises and try to improve them on them. And there's a basic tenant called progressive overload, which is just like a nerdy way of saying that you try to improve over time, either with increasing the weight or increasing the reps or something like that. And then you have to eat right. And, you know, I always say I have built in job security as a trainer because it's just something you just always have to do or you get back out of shape. So it's like, um, <laughs> you know, and that that's my job security is that like if my clients train with me for six months and get in really good shape, you're kind of stuck with it. Like you can't really stop or you get out. of. It just sucks. You know, that's the annoying. I wish too, especially when I'm busy and stuff, I don't want to train. I wish you just didn't have to train. Uh, you know, but the, the bitch of training is that you do always have to train. And so, you know, not always, but you know, you have to be consistent with it. You know, it's just consistent, basic training over time, which, which gets the results. Yeah. And have you ever had to struggle with the eating part, the discipline of just eating healthy? Has that ever been a struggle or you kind of put that in your mind and you've been able to just keep it going? Man, I go through phases. Cause I, um, 
I generally eat pretty well. I think it helps being a trainer. Cause I just, I always think to myself, like it would just be like bad for business if I got too dumpy. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I do struggle. I mean, I can, uh, me and my good buddy lift together a lot and he's the same as me. Like we can set goals and we'll say like, I remember last year we set a goal for my birthday to, uh, to each be at a certain weight and we both hit it. And then, then I kind of forgot about that and didn't really watch what I eat. And I gained like 15 pounds in like two weeks. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> what happened? You know? Uh, so I totally get like, I, I'm not the type of trainer that, you know, this, like, I can't like eat like chicken and broccoli all the time. I, you know, I have a sweet tooth and I like to drink and stuff. So, uh, it's a constant struggle, but I, I sometimes am better than others. I really like, uh, the emphasis on strength training with women that specifically that you've been able to, I feel like you've been able to amplify via social media. Um, just is, has there been any common misconceptions or thoughts that you've been able to work through and, um, had clients realize like, wow, doing the basic stuff that you're talking about, but it's still actually like moving weights and, the change in bodies and, you know, just well-being. Yeah. So I, I have a lot of thoughts on this topic. A lot of women are understandably nervous to bulk up by lifting heavy weights. And I get why they are. Part of it is because they look at men that lift heavy weights and they're usually like bulkier. And part of it is maybe they had a bad experience. And I do think that a lot of the strength training programs are disseminated by guys. And that said, I do think that, um, I don't know how many women I've trained, but it's a lot. And I know that very few bulk up. And I do, I also think that the way that I do strength training with women isn't the same as for guys. And some people find that to be not offensive, but some people take issue with that. For me, it's nothing so much about gender. I always try to match the training program to people's goals. And so you know, I've, I've never personally had a, a woman come to me and be like, I want like big traps or like, you know, anything <laughs> like that. Like I want to be like, you know, it's mostly like women want, you know, uh, uh, this, to tone the same kind of areas. And, um, the training program that I do with women is, is kind of, is different than guys. You know, there's a lot of similarities, but there are differences. And, but I do think that getting stronger helps anyone. And, but I think for women, the key is to get strong on the right stuff to own the parts they're trying to work on and not build up too much in, in the spots or not. And, um, I also think that, um, when I talk about strength training with women, I'm not talking about powerlifting. I'm not talking about lifting maximal weights. I'm talking about building your strength in like the eight to 12 rep range, more moderate. And also the way that we structure the workouts is strength circuits. So it's not, you know, when I lift, very few women would ever want to lift how I lift. I do, I do something heavy. Then I sit around for a while and wait. Then I do something heavy. Then I sit around for a while and wait. That's just what I enjoy with yeah. women. We typically program in tri sets or sometimes four exercises at a time. And we rotate through. So there's a, there is a cardio component to it too. And so the, the structure is different, but I do think that um, it's very important for women to get stronger for a lot of reasons. One to create tone, but two, there's a lot of health benefits to it. And I think that, um, I've also seen so many women that struggle with body image. Once they start to strength train, 
just increased confidence and, and then a better relationship with food. I know a lot of women struggle with food in some way or another and just starting to feel strong and get strong really changes their relationship to food. I also think that when women do just like cardio all the time or don't work out and try to starve themselves, um, they're not able to eat as much. A lot of girls, once they start doing weights, find that they can eat more normally and not gain weight and stuff. Um, so there, I just think there's a lot of benefits to it, um, outside of the actual training itself too, as a, as just a trainer, the, the mental benefits are always like more satisfying to me to see yeah. people change their kind of psyche and just confidence in the way they feel about themselves. But I, I mean, it definitely changes your body for the better too. Um, but I do think that, um, there are a lot of misconceptions about it and it's important to realize what I'm actually saying. It's not that women should be powerlifting, but I do think that women should be getting stronger and moderate rep ranges for a lot of reasons. And there's a lot of benefit to that. And, um, you know, I, I've also noticed again, it, it doesn't happen overnight. So it's like, and I think too, one thing that women can focus too much on is the scale and not about like how they look and how they feel. So I'm lucky. Some of the models actually do everything based off inches, not based off weight. And inches okay. always tends to be a better indicator of pro progress than weight. Cause I think sometimes like when women adopt strength training and they never have, you could put on a little muscle and not, the scale doesn't go down as much as you think, but right. you actually look like a totally different person. Right. Like I did a, I did a blog post once I used to have a blog before I moved to LA and I trained a girl for Miss Bikini Universe and she, she actually, I don't even know if she lost a pound the whole time we trained. She, we trained like 14 or 15 weeks and she was about the same weight before and after, but looked totally different, you know, totally different and looked significantly small, more, you know, smaller and more petite, but the actual weight wasn't that different she had developed some muscle and stuff. And, and a lot of women think of muscle always as bad, but what you have to realize is like that when people talk about tone, tone is muscle. So it's like, um, right. it's not bad to gain muscle as long as it's in the right places and in the right proportions and stuff. What was her feedback? Was she expecting to lose a lot of weight? And I was lucky was with she her because she had already been around the block with training. So she didn't really like, care that much she just cared how she looked but i yeah. i have had instances where women get on the scale and and are pissed even though they and will basically say i look better but the scale hasn't budged and i'm like who cares uh yeah. so it's a process yeah. right for yeah to understand and uh yeah um i also love how much attention you pay to form and technique and postural awareness. Cause in my world, that's so important for health, right? For injury. You talk a lot about joint friendly lifts. You're very mindful of that. Yeah. I just think, um, a, you know, a lot of training programs come from meatheads that just love to train. Mm -hmm. Uh, but for most average people, they're not really built to withstand crazy workouts and crazy loading and stuff like that. You know, a lot of, a lot of lifter type guys, when you think of like people that lift a lot of weight, it, it tends to be stockier guys that are just built to lift, you know, uh, and people that are elite in any sport, their body type is just kind of built for that sport. You know, basketball players all tend to look the same. Football players tend to look the same. Weightlifters tend to look the same. 
gymnast, uh, weight, very mobile. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, yeah. And, and you have certain qualities that, you know, um, lifters tend to be thicker guy, thicker people in general, uh, probably thicker joints, things and able to withstand loading. A lot of those guys can do quote unquote dangerous exercises and never get hurt. But most people aren't built like that. And, uh, right. I've, I've kind of been lucky in that, like, I'm naturally a thin person. I get hurt all the time, like lifting if I'm not careful. And that's like more like an average person. I'm not really, you know, if I didn't lift weights, I'd be, I'd be skinny. And so I can't do, if I do uh behind the neck presses, my shoulders hate me. You know, if I do conventional barbell deadlifts heavy, my back hates me. Right. Um, and if I do back squats, my back hates me. And so a lot of guys that are built to lift and the strongest guys that, and so they gravitate towards being trainers those exercises don't bother them. So they don't understand why it bothers other people. But I think most people can't tolerate the meathead stuff without breaking down. And I also think that if you, you know, success leaves clues and so does failure. Like if you look at people that just do powerlifting for years on end, they're usually all hurt. So most people aren't training to achieve crazy levels of strength or crazy levels of muscularity. They're just trying to feel better and look better. And so I don't think you really need to do such aggressive training. I think it's important to train hard, but I think it's important to mostly train safe. I think, you know, the main thing with training is consistency. So if you go so hard that you get hurt and the worst time people get out of shape and gain weight or lose muscle or gain body fat is after an injury or after a surgery and you can't do anything. So it's like the main thing is just staying healthy and training consistently. And so with that, I, I always think it's better to make the, the training program more joint friendly. So we'll, we'll usually deadlift, for example, with a trap bar instead of a straight bar. We'll do front loaded squats instead of back loaded squats. We'll press with dumbbells instead of the barbell. Things like that, I think are small things that you don't lose anything from a training perspective, especially when you're just training to look and feel better when you're not trying to just lift obscene amounts of weight. I don't think you lose anything and you're just better off for the long haul. Also with that, I give every new client the same spiel, but I don't claim to be the hardest trainer. Um, I think a lot of trainers, if you're insecure in your ability, try to seem like a good trainer to their clients by beating the hell out of them. And making them sore and making them feel like it was a good workout. And I get I, every client I have, I give them the same spiel in the beginning. I would rather you leave feeling like I was too easy rather than too hard. Training's mm -hmm. a process. So, you know, you can't, you could do the hardest workout of your life and you're still not going to be in shape the next day. So, but you might be hurt and you might like over, be too sore to work out hard the next day. So I, I actually try to mitigate soreness as much as possible. And I think you're better off training the long haul at 85 or 90% and trying to go hundred percent every day. Cause nobody can, you know, you pick and choose those, those really hard workouts, but that shouldn't be a, a general way. I think you're, you're better off training a little below threshold with really good form on joint friendly exercises and, you know, just doing that consistently. How about like a new client? You've said you're paying attention to people's goals, right? Is kind of going to be guiding your training program, et cetera. Oh. And so it's kind of tough because we're generalizing and talking about training, which I love to do and I think is fun and, and helpful for people. But yeah, I'm wondering, um, just like the, I know your process is simple, but not simple. You know, everything you do, I feel like is simple, but it's not simple. <laughs> it no, it's not simple. Like... It's not simple, but, it, but, um, 
you know, there's that saying, and I don't know who said it, but it said, if you can't explain something simply, you don't know well enough. Right. I think that that's true. Like, so basically the way that, the way that I started training program is I start with three questions. I start, I ask people their goals, their injury history, and their past training history. And really the first two are the only ones that really matter goals and injury history, but goals, that's obvious. We want to program to people's goals. And I think where, where trainers go awry a little bit is sometimes they program to their own goals. So if they have certain likes and dislikes, they, they impose that on their clients, but First and foremost, asking their clients what their goals are and then making that be the the emphasis is important. The injury history is important because we need to factor that in and we need to know any contraindications there might be and work around that. As a trainer, and I say work around that because I have a different job than you. You know, uh, I think when you're a physical therapist, you address the injuries. That's not my thing. You know, um, my thing is working around them and then letting guys like you treat the injuries. I don't try to treat injuries. I like to refer out to people like you to help them with their injuries. And with training, we try to work around them. But but in so doing, I think you would probably agree with this. I think getting stronger in a safe way helps a lot of injuries too. You know, <laughs> it, it really, it really yeah. does now, but I wouldn't try to play physical therapist. So I think that, you know, for me, if somebody's shoulder hurts, we either work avoid that shoulder or we find exercises that don't hurt. Usually I I believe with, with injuries, I think the best way to know if you're doing harm or you're not is, does it hurt? And, um, it really is, you know, if, if, if it hurts either during or after, you know, sometimes it might not hurt during, but then you're cranky after, and then that would be a no go. But if you're not hurt during or after, I think it's okay for the most part. And, um, I do think that Sometimes strengthening the surrounding musculature gets things better. And yeah. um, I think that, um, you know, working around things also, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the cross transfer effect and all, all that stuff. I think there's just, there's always ways you can train around injuries, but I don't think you should ever try to train through injuries. Um, right. So that's why we get the injury history. And then past training history is just, to give me a little insight into how they've trained in the past so that I know, for example, if they've never done weights to start very conservatively, like I like to meet people where they're at. So if they've never done weights, I'm not going to crush them with heavy weights in the beginning. We're going to start very light and kind of build up. I don't really care, for example, what people's job is when it comes to training. I don't care even if they're an athlete or not, you know, uh, mm-hmm. because I think that their the goals, their specific goals and their injury history take care of everything. I, I know that there are many really good athletes that aren't good in the gym, um, mm-hmm. for example, and they just need to be treated as beginners. You know, there's a, everyone has different goals, you know, so I can't tell you, you know, I train a lot of basketball players, but they're all different. You know, mm-hmm. uh, some of them are 19 and some of them are 36. And, uh, some of them need to gain weight. Some of them need to lose weight. Uh, there's a lot of differences that completely yeah. change the program. So if I just remove somebody's name off the top of their sheet program sheet, you might have no clue what the hell they do for a, you know, a job. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, phenomenal athletes, you know, have some gift at the sport that they play. Right. So they're, yeah. They're well, usually you know, unbelievable like, compensators. And yeah, they're great the compensators, but, yeah. but also like if, if, one, if a guy had a bad knee, for example, his lower body training in the off season is going to look totally different 
than somebody that doesn't have a bad knee, but might have a bad back. Right. You know, they're low, you know, so for example, if somebody has a bad knee, but their lower back is fine, we might do a lot of, of deadlifting and Romanian deadlifts, um, and stuff like that, where the emphasis is on keeping a vertical shin to protect the knee. Whereas if somebody had their knees refined, but their back was tricky, we might do a lot more, uh, like single leg type stuff where, um, we're, where we're trying to get less load on the back, but I'm not as worried about the knee. And, and so I don't, there's no like one program, you know, and the, both of those guys could be pro athletes, but their lower body training could be completely different. Right. When you're training, is there a certain time frame that you feel is like a nice time? 45 minutes, 90 minutes? For most people, 45 to 60 minutes is kind of the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Um, my own workouts are like 30 to 45 minutes. I, I, I honestly think less is more in most cases. Most of my clients are like in that 45 minute range. The one exception is if you get really strong guys that lift heavy weights, the workouts right. tend to take a little longer just from, yeah. yeah, time to rest. Uh, there's more warm up sets, loading and unloading the bar takes longer. Um, but I think that 45 minutes is a good sweet spot. And I, just in general, I believe in training that less is more. So one thing that I learned from my mentor, Mike Boyle, is he calls it the minimal effective dose. The, the least you could do to get the desired effect is probably best. Yeah. So like, you know, if you can, if you can get stronger and get what you need to get done in 45 minutes, like why take an hour and a half? Um, I also think that intensity and time are inversely proportional. So you can't really go that hard for very long, you know? And yeah. I would, I, th- I think it's, it's better to train hard and then be done. A few more training specific stuff, strength versus power. I'm curious how you think about that with the body. Yeah. So, well, they're, they're connected, uh, but Mm -hmm. power just has like a speed element to it. So strength is just, um, I'm trying to think of how to explain this simply for, for people. Strength is just, if you think about things in terms of weightlifting, strength is just, um, how much weight can you lift? Absolute strength. Power is, is lifting the weight fast and explosively. So a lot of sports is power is more important than strength. You know, a lot of people just lifting for muscle mass and stuff, power is not as important. Uh, but for sports, power and then power endurance, depending on the sport, are arguably more important than strength. So when I say strength training, powers that encompasses power work too. Typically, we start workouts with power. We do power when you're fresh and then do strength work after. Um, but they're connected, you know, and, and the the bigger your base is of strength, the easier it is to uh, display power. But a lot of there's, there's like a continuum of power and strength. Some, some athletes are more powerful, but not as strong. And some athletes are stronger, but not as powerful. And so I will look at that and the athletes that are more powerful, but don't have as much of a base of strength will do more basic heavy strength work. People that are super, super strong, but not as explosive. will do a lot more explosive work. Got it. But I think both are important, but I do think that, um, athletes need to lift weights, but they shouldn't be weightlifters, mm-hmm. you know? And I think, uh, you know, if you look at like power lifters, they move a lot of weight, but they're not athletic at all. So I think, um, I don't want to say that cause that's offensive, but yeah, they're pretty much not athletic at all. And, uh, so I think that, um, 
it's important to have power and strength work in there. And I also think for general population clients, you know, as you age, power is the first thing to go. So we do power work with general population clients too, but just we're doing like more joint friendly stuff. So instead of Olympic lifting, we're, um, we're, we're doing more joint friendly ways of power, throwing medicine balls and joint friendly plyometrics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And how do you think about a speed agility kind of, it all kind of goes together, huh? Like, but yeah, it does. So, so again, um, this depends on the sport and the guy. So a lot of athletes that I train are doing, you know, on court work or on field work in addition to me. Got it. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, with me, we'll just do strength training. Like I try to fill in the gaps, but if guys, and we don't even do like people that are like, for example, I train a lot of basketball players. If they're on the court a lot, we'll do very little conditioning in the gym. Cause they're, they're already getting that. I don't want to hammer them more. But if they're not on the court a lot, then we'll do a lot more conditioning because conditioning is important. So it just depends what else they're doing outside of me. Very rarely with, with pro athletes, am I the only person they're seeing? So I have right. to work in tandem with everyone else, whether that's people like you or whether that's uh, guys that are doing field work with them or court work or whatever it is. Um, but we all have, that's why it's so important for a lot of people um, in our field and your field don't like to communicate with each other and are very, territorial with their clients. And I've always thought it's better to have an open line of communication. Mm -hmm. Um, because sometimes with basketball guys, I, I have them come straight after two hours on the court. That's really not ideal to lift, but you know, it is what it is. So I have to like work with, within those constraints. Yeah. Um, or sometimes after the workout, they're going straight to the court. So then I, you know, uh, it would be stupid for me to kill them and then they can't play well. So like, it's important to know what they're doing you know, in the bigger picture, not just with me. Yeah. That communication is so important to be able to manage the load. I mean, especially the the goal is for the, the athlete or the client, right. When it's a, a team of people. So uh, I always appreciate how well and open you are communicating. Yeah, no, I, I think a lot of trainers don't like to communicate with other people because they try to be very protective of their client. So their client like thinks that they're like the, end all be all of information. But I actually think clients tend to respect more when you refer out and allow them to do their job and, and just, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Cause it's like the more you learn and the more time you spend, we're touching on strength, power, speed, agility. It's like, you could go so in depth where it's like, right. You could spend spend an hour just doing speed stuff. You can spend totally. an hour just yeah. doing skill stuff. Like, or, you know what I mean? So there's so well, and, and that's when you talk about making training simple, that's a really important thing because mm-hmm. sometimes I'll have people ask me, why don't you do such and such exercises? Why don't you like that exercise? And I think I actually do like that exercise. There's a ton of good exercises, but if we're training three times a week for 45 minutes, there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't make the cut. So it's not necessarily something might not be good. It's just, you have to really be, um, very particular with what you choose and what you omit because there's only time for, for, you know, so much. And so you want to get the most bang for, for your buck on that time. Yeah. What about, uh, cardio or energy systems or intervals? So for general population clients, I have an analogy that I like. I think analogies help make things simple. 
but I always say that strength training should be the entree and cardio should be the side dish. So <laughs> they're both, they're both important. Um, you know, you don't want to just eat like a steak with nothing on the side, but I think that if you just ate a side dish, that's like an unfulfilling meal. So, and you're, you know, so I think that, um, in terms of like proportions, I would maybe say two thirds strength, one third cardio or three quarters strength, one quarter cardio. A lot of strength work is cardio and people don't always really realize that, but I think that you get a lot of cardio from your strength work. But I do think, um, you know, if you could only do one thing, you'd better off doing strength circuits than anything. But I, but I like that analogy of the entree and the side dish, because I think that probably breaks up the proportions appropriately. Yeah. Uh, athletes, again, it just depends because, um, if they're doing a lot of stuff outside of me, that's conditioning, then we do very little conditioning or sometimes none. So again, it just depends. And also with general population clients, it's the same thing. It's important to realize what they're doing outside of me. So sometimes some of my clients, the only exercise they do is with me. And so then everything I'm talking about applies, but sometimes they do other stuff on their own. And so then I fill in the gaps accordingly. Right. Yeah. Cause, uh, what if I'm a runner and I have to run five miles a day? Yeah. And again, and that's, be. that's where, um, if you're a runner, then actually the, the cardio is more important than strength training. You know, I'm not going to yeah. say that, that, you know, I'm not going to say strength training is like the end all be all. Like if you're a runner or cyclist or something like that, the cardio is, is definitely more important than strength work. Um, I'm talking about just like general fitness goals. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that, um, you know, when you're training for just looks and health, I think that, um, treating strength training as the entree and cardio as a side dish is a pretty safe bet. Yeah. It's great advice. And, uh, maybe the last training type question would be, uh, you have such great equipment and your space, uh, you don't have the biggest space, but it's a great space and you have, I don't uh, have the biggest uh, space. It's not even 200 <laughs> square feet. It's like 15 <laughs> by 12. Yeah. So you've been, you have thought about the equipment that you've put into your space and it's great equipment. Would you, is there anything that you would funny, highlight, highlight? A lot of times when people visit, they'll go, man, this looks bigger in your videos. And I think, how does it look bigger? It looks like <laughs> tiny in the videos, uh, but it's tiny. It's 15 well, by times 12. Like COVID, it's a good, good thing. You don't need a lot of space to get a good workout to, whether you're a professional, you're a normal person, right? Yeah. I think that, um, anytime that you're getting equipment, you know, again, just like training, you want to get the greatest bang for your buck, the same with equipment. So any equipment that takes up a lot of space, but you can't use for many exercises is not that helpful. You know, so I like to have stuff that, uh, has multiple uses and doesn't take up a lot of space. I also think, uh, in general, I prefer, free weight type stuff to machines. There are some good machines, but I think in general, uh, you know, free weight type stuff is, gives you a little bit more bang for your buck, you know? And then as far as cardio, there are cardio equipment that doesn't take up as much space. I, I have a thing on my wall. It's a list of commandments. And one of them is, um, the exercises you hate doing are the ones that work the best. And <laughs> it's like, so for cardio, Typically like the hard stuff works the best. So like the fan bike, the skier, you know, the Versa climber, things like that, that everyone dreads tend to be better than like lazy elliptical or like the recumbent bike or the stationary bike or things. Not that those are bad, but they're just not as effective. I don't think. 
when you do something like, like if you go out to the Today Show and you do, you know, a, a fitness training segment with them, some kind of big commitment, is there a certain way you'll prepare for that? Um, you know, obviously sleep's important, but do you, are you always meditating or getting a workout in or eating a certain thing before, or how do you prepare for something important to you? Um, I don't really have any like rituals in that way. I should meditate. I've been saying for two years that I want to meditate and I haven't done it. I've actually, I've done it twice. One of my clients is big on meditation mm-hmm. and I've done it twice. And both times I fell asleep, which is interesting because I'm a really bad sleeper. So uh. I thought that was pretty cool. I fell right asleep both times. Um, I have, you actually told me, I don't even know if you remember this. You, you taught me a breathing ladder that mm-hmm. I worked on with one of my clients, but I have, I never have done it. You know, I, I still remember it where the exhale is twice as long as the inhale. And right. so it's pretty simple. And the one you, t- you taught me, this is two or three years ago and he still does it to sleep and stuff and, and calm down. And, um, awesome. I haven't tried it yet three years later. <laughs> I, sh- I probably should, <laughs> but what you essentially do is, Breathe in for one second, out for two, breathe in for two seconds, out for four, breathe in for three seconds, out for six, uh, breathe in for four seconds, out for eight, and then breathe in for five seconds, out for 10, which is actually very hard for me. I think that would probably take, and then you do five and 10 twice, and then you work your way back down. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, super simple, no excuse why I haven't done it in three years, but I just haven't done it, but I, I should meditate for me. Um, I would feel nervous talking on camera about basically anything else other than exercise. But if it's exercise, I don't really feel that nervous. So I don't really have a ritual. I try to um, not drink too much coffee before I do stuff. I feel like that makes me jittery in terms of rituals. That's tricky because a lot of times that stuff's early in the morning. But I try not to overdo. Yeah, I try not to overdo the coffee Um, because I I find that. um, sometimes I can have anxiety. Like I, sometimes I can be an anxious person and I feel like, um, when I feel that way, caffeine exacerbates that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then besides that, no, I, I really do feel like, I feel like very in my element talking about, like, I, I feel totally out of place. If I'm like at a dinner party talking about like fashion or something that I don't understand, I feel like a fish out of water. Yeah. Um, and, and that makes me nervous if I'm talking about something that I have no clue about, but training, I, I feel confident in what I'm talking about. You know, every TV thing, I'm always just training somebody on TV. So I could, you know, that's not really that nerve wracking to me, but I do, I I don't necessarily have rituals. Are you methodical about what you're, you know, knowing these are the exercises I'm going to do, or do you kind of just wing it? Um, it's funny you say that. Well, anything like TV, you have to plan it ahead of time. Oh yeah. Cause they probably um, want to know too, right? For Yeah. You have to stuff. plan it ahead of time. And then there's always like a video in the background of whatever you're doing and stuff. So that's all planned. Okay, um, yeah. but workouts, it's interesting you say that because I have, I take tremendous pride in my job and I try to do the best job I can. That said, my clients don't have consistent schedules. Sometimes I'm traveling with clients and we are in a new gym every day. And so I'm not ashamed to say, I don't always write programs for everyone uh, because yeah. 
I don't know when they're coming in next. I don't know how many days a week they're coming. Some days a week they come, some weeks they come twice a week. Some weeks they, they come four times a week. So I actually can't write programs in a lot of cases. Like when I worked at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning, we had a four-day summer routine where it was like everyone came Monday through Thursday and then you can write a program. And I actually can't with a lot of my clients. And I, I feel bad saying that because I feel like a lot of trainers could be like, oh, he doesn't even write programs for people, but I can't. And so yeah. that said, I know exactly what they did. So there's a plan, there's a method to the madness. A lot of times we're traveling and the first time I see the gym is the first time we get in the gym. And so I think that part of being, I think what separates great trainers from good trainers is being able to adapt and, and do stuff on the fly without mm -hmm. it being like a bullshitty workout. Like I think that young trainers really need to write programs because when they wing it, it's just a, a shit show. But I think when you really know what you're doing, you can do it on the fly and it, and it works. And that's, that's the difference. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's like, do as I say, not as I do. I don't always program for people. But again, the logistics of the situation dictates that. So if I don't know what equipment the gym is going to have that we, we're going to the next day, I can't write a program. I have to just figure it out when we get there. Will you think the structure, like, oh, I want to do uh, these kind of pushes or these kind of pulls or this kind of general structure, and then I'll fill the We always you know, do exercises full body workouts. Based oh, okay, I always yeah. do full body workouts. So every workout I have has a template, which is I usually program – either two exercises at a time or triceps, which is three exercises at a time. And there's two triceps. And so there will be each triceps is comprised of an upper body exercise and a lower body exercise, and then usually a core exercise. And so in any given workout, we try to do an upper body pushing exercise. So that could be a bench press or an overhead press or a push up or a landmine press. And then we try to do an upper body pulling exercise. So that could be a chin up or a lat pull down or a row of some sort or some sort of scapular retraction type exercise. Okay. And then for lower body, we try to do a knee dominant exercise, which knee dominant, typically the easiest way to think about it is an exercise for your quads. So like a lunge or a squat or something like that. And then a hip dominant exercise. And that's something for your glutes and hamstrings. So that could be a deadlift or a Romanian deadlift or a glute bridge or some sort of leg curl or something like that. And so when you cover those bases and do something for your core, that's a full body workout. So that's the template I go off. So if I'm walking into a new gym, I look at what they have and then I see what's the most effective upper body push that we have, you know, that we may maybe haven't done for a few days before. What's the most effective upper body pull? What's the most effective knee dominant exercise? What's the most effective hip dominant exercise? And what are we going to do for core? Yeah. That's kind of fun, huh? When you're just kind of looking around, what, what do I have at my disposal yes. at this moment? And maybe there's people over here and we can't use that, but we'll just, and keeping that yeah, flow and, going. Yeah. And that's workout. the reality of it. Yeah. Now when people come to me, there's much more of a program to it. I of typically course. like yeah. to keep, when people come to me and there's regularity, I like to keep a program going for about four weeks. I think that's a good sweet spot of, you know, if you switch up the workout every time, it's like that 50 first dates thing where you always have to, it's the first time every time. But I think if you don't switch it up enough, people get bored, you stagnate. So I think every four weeks we switch it up. And I think that's a good blend of like being able to have progression without getting bored. Oh, what about taking time off? You ever have anyone that just 
never stops or yes totally and i make people you need to stop i'll i'll cancel on people for a week yeah it's called (laughs) it's called deloading like you need to um you need to deload but again that's a slippery slope because you have to like earn your deloads like people that train really hard need to take breaks but people that don't train really hard need to train harder so it's just you know so it just depends yeah it's not all created equal huh yeah, you definitely have to kind of earn the deloads, but there are people like that, yeah, that just overdo it and train too much. Well, I feel like I've taken a lot of your time. Um, I'm excited about this VIP, this uh, distant coaching, and I love your website, so I'm definitely Thanks, pointing people there because I love the way you wrote it. See, Thanks. Uh, yeah, it's like I'm talking to you. It's very personal. It's very you. I can tell you wrote it. And uh, well, what about your mentorship too? Because you also offer some mentorship that I think is cool. Yeah, that's more for trainers. And then the like okay. people that want to do that's that's a training mentorship. So people that are interested in um, learning about how to be a better trainer. But the uh, online coaching is just for people that are looking for workouts that don't want to go to the gym. So the way that works is. We'll do a few FaceTimes and go over technique and stuff, but then they do the workouts on their own. Cool. And I know that there's training videos coming. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working on like, I'm not very tech savvy, but I want to have some sort of like program slash app that I'm working on. Like that people could just download the program, but, uh, you know, it's hard when you're not tech savvy. Well, I did see you, uh, potentially getting an uh, intern, right? which yes. can help with this process. Big time. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. I think the internship will definitely be mutually beneficial because yeah. I think it's, I, I did an internship and I think it's a really good way to learn. And then I'm looking for help with uh, the tech side of stuff. Cause that is not my strong suit. All right, sir. Dude, uh, it's really good to catch up. I can't wait to, uh, actually see you and lift with you and Jax. I can't wait for you to see Jackson. It just, yeah. He's, he's starting to run, which is amazing. Really? Yeah, he he's just figuring it out. So he'll kind of you're almost like, is he gonna fall? Or he's like, and then he just takes off, and he'll and he's he's just uh, he's starting to learn how to like start and stop, you know, like stop and look around. And sometimes he's he'll play with his head his tummy time. Dude, it's yeah, it's so fun. I think he, Jax yeah. was my first uh, foray into tummy time. He he taught me tummy time. Yeah, you guys were doing that. <laughs> and he and he taught me a couple good uh, ab exercises, so I appreciate him for that. <laughs> yeah, he's teaching me every day. Yeah. The, the kids, they know what's up. All right. Thanks, sir. Yeah, good talking to you, man. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a five-star review. Every listener matters to us, so please leave your comments along the way to let us know how we're doing. Until next time, wishing you all the wealth, health, and happiness in the world.